Are you staying warm? You staying dry? Good. Those are the, the two most important things on weather like this. We have a few questions that were turned in on Tuesday night. The first one, I'm going to be really honest, has to do with Jacob's trouble. And I don't know who you are that, that uh, put that in the basket, but I want to answer that for you. But I want to do that face-to-face with you if you're comfortable with that. And so if you will see me personally, I'll be more than happy to answer your question. Uh, the second one says, what text... Say we have free choice. If you have a Bible with you tonight, go ahead and pull that Bible out. Are there Bibles in the pews? Good. Pull out your Bible with me and turn to Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus is in the beginning of the Old Testament. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. That's right. Third book of the Bible. Turn right there to the first chapter, Genesis Sorry, Leviticus 1, verse 3. We're going to try to move through these quickly because we need to begin in about five minutes with tonight's presentation so that I can let you out on time. Leviticus 1, verse 3 says, If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own. What does that word say? What is that that phrase? Oh, we're not going to get done in five minutes if you don't speak up. Well, who's stuck in UNA? What's the NIV, what's the NIV say? Give me an NIV. I'll read it. <laughs> Bless your hearts. If, it is the, if the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he is to offer the male without defect. He is to present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. Let me read it to you from the New American Standard. And this is one of the things you run into in the difference between things like the NIV and the NASB. The NIV was translated for reality, and it's that. But it's not always a literal translation. The New American Standard does a really good job of giving you a word for Matter of fact, students that take Greek and seminary, guess which version they all have? New American Standard, because it's easier to cheat that way. You don't really have to pay much attention to Greek because the New American Standard is such a straight translation from the Greek. The New American Standard writes this, Leviticus 1.3. If his offering is a burnt offering of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle, the meeting of the Lord. Leviticus 19.5 states, if, you're, if you offer a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. In Leviticus 22, you shall offer of your own free will, voluntarily a male, without blemish, from the cattle, from the sheep, and from the goats. Leviticus 22, 29, you can write these down and look them up later. It says, when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, offer it of your own free will. I want to be very clear. Leviticus, what was God trying to do in Leviticus? Just give them a sanctuary and a bunch of rituals to go through? What was he trying to teach them? A simple answer? What is Leviticus about? No, it's not about the law. That's Deuteronomy. What's Leviticus about? The lamb that was slain. What was he trying to teach them about in Leviticus? It was the plan of salvation. And at the very core of Leviticus... 
over and over again is this concept of free will. Now, that phrase free will is not used in the New Testament, but the concept is there. The most famous verse of all scriptures in John 316. For God so loved how many? Remember what we looked at the second night. How many does he perish? Does he want to repent? Oh. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that what's that word? Whosoever. What does that mean? Anyone. Anyone who wants to. And this is really driven home in in Jeremiah 18. And this one you can turn there. I don't think the NIV will throw you for a loop. Half of John 8 is missing in the NIV anyways. That's why I don't use it. It, You'll look for verses that aren't there. But in John 18. Jeremiah, yes. Thank you. Been one of those days. This is a powerful parable and I want you to catch it. Because a lot of folks that believe in predestination and the elect... Their champion chapter in the New Testament is Romans chapter 9. Anyone ever read Romans chapter 9 before? What we don't realize is that in Romans 9, God is not speaking of individuals. He's talking about bodies of people, nations, Israelites versus Gentiles. And it's most interesting, the whole potter in the clay imagery that Paul uses in Romans chapter 9. He's actually quoting Jeremiah 18 right here. And I want to share with you what it says. The potter in the clay, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. There I'll announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was, what does it say? It was marred, spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into what? Another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. At this stage, it doesn't look like a God who is love. It looks like a God who is in what? Control. But follow carefully what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, I, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment, I might speak concerning a nation. Or concerning a kingdom to uproot it, to pull it down, and to destroy it. Had God done that before? Give me an example. Yes, where else? Yes, where else? Where else? The one that I'm looking for. Do you remember a little man who ran? Nineveh. Had he... Had he... Prophesied that Nineveh was going to be destroyed... And you know what's interesting about Jonah's message? Jonah didn't put a qualifier on it. He didn't go up and say, in 40 days you're going to be destroyed, but if you repent, God might change his mind. He just, he gave them no way out. He just said, listen, in 40 days, you're toast, and walked away. And notice what it says. I might at one moment speak concerning a nation to uproot it, to pull it down, to destroy it, and if that nation against which I have spoken, turns from its evil, what does it say God will do? I'll relent concerning the calamity that I plan to bring on it. Or at any moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build it up, to plant it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good which I had promised to bless it. 
this potter and this clay imagery, when we go back to its original source from where it all began in Jeremiah, where did it begin with? God up there making some vessels for destruction and other vessels for glory? He started by making all vessels for what? For glory. But some became spoiled in his hand. Do you see what it's saying? And how did they become spoiled? Whose choices? Who's, who, was making, who, who were making those choices? They were. And he might have been making it for one. And they turn. And what does he quickly do? Because of the choices they make, he reshapes and he changes that. Do you see what Jeremiah is saying? God's not up there saying, I'm going to make it this way and you can't say anything about it. He's saying, listen, the reason I'm threatening destruction is because of what you're doing. But if you turn from that, I will change and remake you for something else. And if I'm making you, Israel, for glory, and you don't change, did God make promises to Israel that now he's fulfilling to the Gentiles? Is that true? Yes. Powerful chapter understanding how God's sovereignty and yet our free will can coexist. Sovereignty is an interesting word. I want you to understand tonight God's will is not the only thing that's sovereign in this world. God has given human will sovereignty too. And those two are in constant tension. And that's what I hope we can begin to understand. If you have questions on this, I want you to go back to the presentation we covered on night number two. Second question. And we've got a hustle. But second question says, I have questions regarding eternal security, which I believe, but I want to hear what scriptures you base the opposite on. That is a grave mishearing from what I said. I believe in eternal security. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Turn with me to 1 John 5, verse 13. What I mean, 1 John 5, 13. What I mean by eternal security is can we have the assurance of salvation? Can we have that? Can we have the assurance of eternal life? Oh, yes, we can. Notice 1 John 5.13. John writes, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may, what does it say? That you may know that you have what? Can we know that we have eternal life? Yes. But remember, God is a God who is concerned with relationships, is he not? And he wants you to engage in a relationship with him. I believe that God wants us to know that we have eternal life. We don't need to worry about what his attitude toward us is. Does that make sense? Are you with me so far? But notice Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 4. And I'm not going to run a commentary on this verse. I just want to pull out one phrase. We don't have time to go through every statement. But Hebrews 6 verse 4. It says, it's impossible for those who were once. If those that are there, what's it say? Once what? They were enlightened. Have tasted of the heavenly gift. What's the heavenly gift? Eternal life. life. Have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. What does this sound like? Saved or lost? 
This sounds like they're in a saved relationship, does it not? How many agree with me? If you agree, say yes. Tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Does that sound like a saving relationship to you? And then it says, what's the next four words? Is it possible to be a partaker, according to this verse, is it possible to be a partaker of the Holy Spirit even? And to fall away, according to this verse? Yes. But why? Because God changes his mind about you? Because God believes in relationships. And where does he want you always? With him. But what does he always give you? The freedom to choose whether you want to be with him or not. And we can know from his standpoint, we have eternal life. Amen? But is he going to force people to be there against their will? And if I make a decision for him today, today do I know that I have eternal life? But what if five years from now, I reconsider and I don't want to be with him anymore? Is he going to force me then? No, because God believes in freedom. Do you remember what he said to his disciples when everyone was leaving? He looked at the twelve and he said, will you go too?" If anyone's there, he doesn't want them to be there by force. He wants them to be there strictly, voluntarily, by their own free will. He's not into forced will worship, forced obedience. He wants the service of the heart. And so I believe that because God respects us, he gives us at any moment always the freedom to say no to him at any time. Now, will he ever say no to us in regards to salvation? And does the Bible say, did Jesus say, behold, I will be with you when? Always, even until the ends of the. And how many is he with? All of us. Does that mean everyone's going to be up there? Because they don't want to be with who? Hear me, on that final day, there's only one thing that's going to be said. There will be those that look to God and say, thy will be done. How many want to be a part of that group? But then there will be those that God looks to and says, thy will be done. Do you understand the point that I'm making? If we are there, it's because he wants us to be there and we want to be there. If we are lost at last, it's not a decision on his part. It's because he wants us to be there, but we do not. I hope that helps answer some of these questions. The greatest example I can give you is Lucifer. Lucifer was once himself in a saved relationship, but did God force him to stay that way? No, and just because we've been restored doesn't mean we're forced to remain. It's always by free will. Tonight we have a lot of ground to cover. We are about ten minutes late on that. But I'm going to do my best to catch us up in this first 35 minutes. How's that? We'll do a 45-minute presentation in 35 minutes. Are you with me? Are you mentally alert? I erased that before I talked about it. Sorry. What was over here? No, emotional healing. Good. Did we cover that last weekend? Fitness and health. Did we cover that Tuesday night? And I have given you the principles that if you apply them, they will bring you lasting health. 
Tonight we're going to begin moving into, it's already Thursday, we're going to be moving into spiritual fulfillment. How many would like to no longer just be religious? Or how many don't ever want to be religious? How many would like to simply have spiritual fulfillment, though? How many would like that? Something that's real and fulfilling. You know, many people today come to me and they say, well, Herb, why is it that we're so mixed up? Why is it that we're so frustrated over over religion and God? And why are there things like atheists? And some of you have even come to me. You've been seeing God a little differently in this series. Anybody here beginning to get a different picture of God in this series? Have you seen him a little differently than when you came? People come to me and they ask, well, Herb, this is so beautiful. Where did we get the wrong picture? How did we get so mixed up? It's a good question, isn't it? Jesus came here and gave us the truth. Specifically, the truth about who? About God. But today, Christians don't always not just say things the right God about God, the right things about Him. Many of us, we don't even know the right things about Him. We ourselves don't have the right pictures. How did we get here? The Bible prophesied that this would happen. Do you realize that? The reason many of us fail to experience the spiritual fulfillment that we desire. How many remember the experience with my father that I shared opening night? How many remember that story? Why did a meaningful relationship with my father constantly evade me? Was it a lack of effort? Remember, I had the wrong picture of the person I was trying to have a relationship with. That's what the Bible seems to indicate is the challenge with many of us today on a spiritual level. We want that fulfillment, but we've got the wrong picture. And the Bible tells us why. Turn with me tonight to probably one of the most significant prophecies ever recorded in the Bible for us today. In Daniel chapter 7, take your handouts with me. Daniel chapter 7. It says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and he related the following summary of it. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring, stirring up the great sea and the four and four beasts. How many of them? Four beasts were coming up from the sea different from one another. The first was like a what? It had the wings of an... I kept looking until its wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and a human mind was given to it. Behold, another what? A second one resembling a? What was the first one? What's the second one? A bear. And it says it was raised up on one side and three ribs were in its mouth and between its teeth. And thus they said to it, arise and devour much what? Meat. After this, I kept looking and behold, another one like a leopard, which had on his back four wings of a bird. And the beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. Man, Daniel, that's a wild dream so far, isn't it? How many agree that's one messed up dream? What would you think if you woke up the next morning and remembered a dream like this? You'd be thinking, what did I eat before I went to bed, wouldn't you? It goes on, he sees next. He says, he kept looking in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast. This one has no description as far as a different animal, but it does describe it. Dreadful and terrifying, extremely strong. It had a large, it had large iron teeth. 
It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had what? Ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one came up among them. And notice what happens. Three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. So how many are left now? Simple math. How many horns were there? Three get pulled up. How many are left? Seven. Good. You're restoring my faith. And then you have a, yes, we're not including the little one. I know. Somebody's a math teacher. It says, before it was, behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering, what does it say? Take your pencils out tonight. I want you to circle those two words, great boasts. That's the part I want to focus on. Great boasts. Keep an eye out for that phrase in this chapter. Great boasts. I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. Myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat. Circle that word court. The court sat. And the books were what? Opened. I kept looking and pay close attention here. I kept looking because of the sound of the what's that phrase? Oh, boastful words. Circle that which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until this beast, this fourth beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. What fire? I see it's burning fire. But where have we seen that before so far? Yeah, that's pouring out like a river from before his throne. Do you catch the vision? Are you visualizing this? Are you trying to picture it? It says, as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds one, clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. Who is that? It says, and he came up to the Ancient of Days was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a what? How many long for that day? And it says, in all peoples, nations, and men of, men of every language, that they might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. What a powerful way to end a confusing dream. Amen? It's interesting. Daniel continues. He says, as for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me. I think that would go without saying, don't you? The visions in my mind kept alarming me. I approached, I approached one, one of those who were standing by and began to ask him the exact meaning of all of this. How many would like to know the exact meaning of all we have just read? Well, we're going to finish Daniel chapter 7 tonight. But before we do, let's do a little review. Let's make sure we understand what we're looking for. I don't care if you've read this chapter before or you haven't. Whether you've heard a million sermons on it or you've never heard one, tonight I want you to pretend like you haven't ever heard any. Are you with me? Wipe everything you've ever heard out of your mind for one second. And let's just try to catch up on the picture of this chapter. First, what does Daniel see? 
Then what does he see? Sounds like the Wizard of Oz, doesn't it? Lions, tigers, and bears. That's right, someone's seen it. Then he sees a leopard. Then he sees what? Terrible beast. Let's just call that the fourth beast. How's that? How many horns does the fourth beast have? Ten horns. Then what does he see? A little horn. And then after the little horn, what does he see take place? What, what word did you circle? Besides great boast that the little horn is making, there was another word I asked you to circle. A court was set. He sees a judgment and whatever is meant, a court scene. And how, whatever is meant by that, what is the end result of that court scene? Jesus comes and what's given to him? An everlasting dominion, glory, and kingdom. Amen? This last part is probably the clearest of the whole vision so far. Is it not? We know that in the end, when the world comes to a screeching halt, when this age comes to a close, Christ is going to be given dominion and every tongue, every knee is going to what? Going to bow. We know that, correct? But what about all this other stuff that Daniel saw previous? Let's begin to unpack it. He desired to know the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of these things. Pay close attention. These great beasts, which are how many in number? Four in number. They are for what? Kings who will arise from the earth. And the saints of the highest one will receive and pos- the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Now be careful. He says, how many kings will there be? Four. But notice he says, what will happen to the saints? They'd be given the kingdom. Why are the saints given the kingdom? Who's given the kingdom first? And according to Paul, are we co-heirs with him? Are we joint heirs with Christ? So if it's given to him, then who shares? Who partakes of that? You and I do. (laughs) It's all right. I've got one too. It's gone off in this series already. Daniel chapter 2, it's interesting. I want you to, to, to look at this. Before we do, notice what it says. Daniel doesn't mess with any of these first three. He immediately goes to, then I desired to know the exact meaning of the what? Do you see that there? Before you read, right above Daniel 2, do you see it there? Oh, please be with me tonight. Are you here? Did you have a long day at work? Talk out loud, can you? So I can get you home and you can go to bed. All right, you can end this whole day. <laughs> says, then, thanks, Paul. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of which beast? The fourth beast. The fourth beast. Why did he skip to the fourth one? I don't know about you. I want to know about these, don't you? Daniel, don't just skip to the fourth. Yes, because he already knew about them. Where had he learned about them? Daniel chapter 2, and we don't have time tonight to read Daniel chapter 2, but I'll tell you real quick. Nebuchadnezzar saw a, a, a dream. He saw an image. And each part of that image was made up of a different kind of metal. Take your handouts with me. Take your inserts out. Do you have an insert in there? Sure hope so. Where did mine go? There it is. The top of Daniel chapter 2, it had a head of gold. Do you see that there on the left? 
It had a chest of silver. It had a waist of bronze, legs of iron and ten toes. Wow, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Ten toes. What did this beast have? Ten horns. And then what he sees in his vision is this image is standing there, this statue and this stone. This stone becomes cut without hand. It's thrown at the foot of this statue. The statue crumbles and that stone grows up into a big mountain and becomes a kingdom whose dominion will last forever. Whose kingdom does that stone represent? Christ. But what about this head of gold, this chest of silver, this waist of bronze, these legs of iron and these ten toes? Daniel is given the interpretation that each section of this statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of represents one of the kingdoms that is going to come in earth's lineage or earth's history. It begins with this head of gold or who? Babylon. That was King Nebuchadnezzar. That was the kingdom Daniel lived in. And what kingdom came after Babylon? I'm just speaking historically now. The next world power to rule the world. Who was that historically? World history, Media Persia. Who took over Media Persia? Greece. Who took over Greece? Rome. It's interesting. When Rome fell, how many divisions was Rome divided up into? Now, wait a second. That's uncanny, is it not? How many kingdoms from Babylon to Rome? How many pieces of the statue were there in Daniel 2? How many beasts did he see in Daniel 7? Four. And in Daniel chapter 2, after it gets to the fourth section, how many toes are on it? How many horns are on the beast? How many divisions was Rome divided up into? Oh, let's continue. We're not making any conclusions yet. We're just looking at something that sounds intriguing. Is anyone's curiosity pricked yet? Sounds intriguing, does it not? Daniel seven nineteen, go with me there at the bottom of the second page. I desire to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others. Exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron, its claws of bronze, which devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And the meaning of the ten horns which were on its head and the other horn which came up before which three of them fell, namely that horn which had had eyes and a mouth uttering. What does it say? Oh, circle that. Great boasts and which was larger in appearance than its associates. Notice it started out how big or small started out little, but it grew to be bigger than all the other horns. Do you see that there? I kept looking and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the ancient of days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one and the time arrived that the saints might possess took possession of the kingdom what i want you to notice above all else at this point still we're just getting descriptions of what's happening here whatever those boastful words are that we have circled how many times so far We have circled it three times. Whatever those boastful words are, it is what preempts. It is what initiates. It is the cause of a heavenly judgment where the saints being persecuted are delivered. And the kingdom is given to Christ and his people. But what is it that brings the need for the judgment? You've circled it three times. The boastful words. Can you see that tonight so far in this chapter? We haven't fleshed it out yet. Then he said to me. The fourth beast. Will be a fourth what? Kingdom on the earth. It'll be different from all the other kingdoms. It'll devour. 
the whole earth. Tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings will arise. Did we see that take place? And another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones, and he will subdue how many kings? How many horns were uprooted? And then, well, let's pause there. Take your hand out with me again. Take your pens out. We're going to begin with that top section where it says the head of gold. In Daniel 2, that was its description. But in Daniel 7, it's what? It's a lion. And what do we know that kingdom to be according to Daniel chapter 2 and 7? Babylon. The chest of silver has a parallel of the bear in Daniel 7. And what followed Babylon? What kingdom? Media Persia. Write it down right there in that blank above the date, just like Babylon is above it. Media, M-E-D-I-A dash Persia, P-E-R-S-I-A. After that, we see a waste of bronze in Daniel 2. We see a leopard in Daniel 7. It's interesting. How many heads did that leopard have? When Alexander the Great died, he had no children his kingdom was divided up between his generals. How many of them were there? Isn't that, isn't that remarkable? We know that this is Greece. So write that in there beside the leopard across from the waste of bronze from 331 to 168 B.C. Just write Greece on top of that date. The legs of iron, the terrible beast, the fourth beast. We know that the kingdom that followed Greece was what? When Rome fell, it was divided into ten districts. The first one was the Anglo-Saxons. Which country is that today? No, Anglo-Saxons, Britain. Then the French. Who was that? Follow your outline. It's right there. The Alamanni. Who did they become? The Burgundians. Who did they become? The Visigoths. They became, oh, the Suevi. They became... What we're seeing when Rome fell, there were ten divisions that the territory of Rome was divided up into. And those ten divisions we know today as the nations of where? Of Europe. That's amazing, is it not? But notice it says the Heruli, they first settled in Italy, but there's a date there. What is that date? They were only in Italy till 493. The Vandals then settled in North Africa, but they were only there till 534 A.D. The Ostrogoths first settled in Austria, then Italy, but they were only there till when? 538 A.D. And then the Lombards came and it, it came and settled finally in Italy and became what we know today as the Italians. That's right. But it's interesting. Out of those ten... Do you see three of them there that were that have dates with them? Those dates are when those kingdoms were destroyed or to quote Daniel uprooted. Would there be three that would be uprooted? It's amazing how these events were prophesied. But please don't get dazzled by the history. Yes, it follows history closely, but Daniel, Gabriel is not concerned here with giving Daniel a history lesson. He wants them to notice what would happen next. There would come this little horn that uproots these three kingdoms, these three horns. They're in its way. They must be pushed out for it to come to power. And notice the quality of this. It says when he comes... 
He will speak out against what? Are you back with me on the handout? I'll, I'll let you get there. Remember right where we lay left off. We're on the top of page three. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise. Another will arise after them. He will be different from the previous ones and will subdue how many? Do we see that in history? Those three kingdoms coming to an end. And it says this little horn, whoever this is, whatever kingdom this is, he will speak out against who? What kind of words did he speak? We've circled it over and over again. Boastful words. And whatever those boastful words, they're against who? They're against the Most High. And God responds by a judgment that delivers the saints and gives the kingdom back to Jesus and His people. What an incredible vision. But still, we don't understand what what the purpose of it all is. Why is it relevant to us today? It says He will wear down the saints of the Highest One. Do you see why a judgment needed to be engaged in to deliver the saints? Whoever this little horn is, he will speak boastful words against the Most High. He will wear out the saints and he will intend to make an alteration in times and in what? Now, over and over again, this power is spoken of both in the books of Daniel and Revelation because God doesn't want us to miss it. It says in Daniel eleven thirty six, then the king will do as he pleases, talking about this little horn. He will exalt and magnify himself above every God and will speak what? Monstrous things against who? The God of gods. He will prosper until the indignation is finished for that which is decreed will be done. In Revelation thirteen six, it says he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God. You say something against me. So what? But when you say something against God, what do we call that in one word? That's blasphemy. He will speak blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name. Oh, and this is key. What do names indicate in the Bible? Who are they significant of? When did an Israelite name their child? It wasn't like like we do it. I just had a newborn son. I have an 11-year-old, a 5-6-year-old. Is that right? Yep. And a newborn And long before this newborn ever came out, we had a name picked for it. That's not how the Israelites did it. They believed believed that names were significant. You remember the story of Nabal and Abigail and David before he was king? Nabal had treated David rudely and David was upset. He came riding down the plain. He was going to wipe out Nabal and all of his family. And Abigail came running out and said, Please, David, have mercy on your servant. For as his name is, so is he. It's interesting. Parents would have a child and they would watch their babies for eight days, seven days, a whole week. And on the eighth day, they would give that baby a name according to how it acted. Now think about Abigail here. She says, for, as, for Nabal, this guy back here who made you mad, have mercy on us. For as his name is, so is he. What did the word Nabal mean? I'm so glad my parents didn't name me Nabal. It means fool. What did that child do in the first seven days of its life? That its parents would call him fool for the rest of his days. Do you see how it worked with the Israelites? 
A person had a name, and the meaning of that name was a description of their character. Did Jesus come and continually say that he was proclaiming to us the name of God? Does God have a name? And to the Hebrews, what did that mean? Jesus was telling them what God was like. Do you see that? Notice when it says that this little horn would speak blasphemies against God and blaspheme his what? What does that mean? Whoever this little horn is, it would do damage to people's perception of the character of God. Are you hearing me today? Do we live before this time period or after this time period? The t- I'm talking about the ten horns, the, ten div- the nations of Europe. Do we live after the fall of Rome? I would like to suggest to you that we live in a time where there are monstrous perceptions of what God's character is like on this planet today. How many would agree? People believe monstrous things against God. Why? Because there would be a little horn who would come and blaspheme the name of God, speak monstrous things about God, portray the wrong thing, boastful words. Boastful words. What are those words? It says it was given to him to make war with the saints, to overcome them and authority over every people and tongue and nation was given to him. Did Babylon have authority over every tribe, tongue, nation and people? Did Babylon rule the then known world? Media Persia, did it rule the then known world? Did, did, the, did Greece rule the then known world? Yes. Did Rome rule every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue? Did it rule the then known world? And then the then known world, when Rome fell, it was divided up into how many divisions? But there would come another power who would uproot three of those. Three of those kingdoms would fall so that this power could come to be. And this power would now be given dominion over every nation, kindred, tongue, tribe, and people. Here comes a new power that would rule the world. But the problem would not be how it treats people so much as what it does against who? Against God and against His saints. And against God's character in people's minds and people's hearts. And I wish I didn't have to share this next part with you. I really do. In Second Thessalonians 2, it says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, That you will not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord had come. See, people were saying back then that Jesus had already come back the second time. And Paul says, don't be disturbed by this. Let no one deceive you in any way. Follow this closely. It will not come. The second coming will not take place. This down here will not take place where the kingdom is given. It will not take place until what happens first. What does apostasy mean? What does apostasy mean? In the Greek, apostus, yeah, you can look it up. Opposed to? But what is apostasy? It's a falling away from your original purpose. Hear me. When Jesus left, 
He left a group in charge down here. Jesus began a beautiful work, did he not? A beautiful work of describing to the world what God was like. And he left a group down here in charge of making sure that work was finished. And who was that group? It was you and me. Was it not? But Paul foresaw through the prophecies of Daniel that there would come a time when the church would fall away. And I wish I could say tonight that the world power that gained control after the division of Rome into ten kingdoms, I wish I could say it was the Buddhists. I wish I could say it was the Hindus. I wish I could say that it was the Muslims. But who got control of the world? It was those who called themselves Christians. It was the beginning of an era known as the Dark Ages, was it not? Where the work that Jesus began was almost wholly obliterated. The light that he began to shine was almost wholly eclipsed. The light about who? In the dark ages were there boastful words spoken by the church. What did the church claim to be? God on earth, did they not? The Christian church claimed to be God on earth. Now, some of you are Protestants out there, and you'll say, Herb, why are you saying the Christian church? That wasn't us. That was them Catholics. It is so easy to point the uh, the finger, is it not? But I would like to remind you that this took place before the Reformation, where there weren't Baptists and Methodists and Lutherans. There was one group, and they didn't call themselves Catholic in the sense that we do today. They called themselves what? Now, were there some who always remained faithful that would not go along? Did God have people that remained faithful? But did the Christian church go through a time of apostasy where they claimed to be God on earth, but in their activities they spoke or portrayed monstrous things against God? Did they do that? It's not about Catholics or Protestants. It's about Christians. Are you hearing me today? Because today, to be quite honest with you, I know Protestants are mad at Catholics, and I know Catholics are mad at Protestants, but neither side is innocent. Have you heard what the Protestants did? Anyone know the history of Nova Scotia? Do you know why there are so many Catholics in Louisiana? Because in Nova Scotia, when the Protestants took over, they took all of the Catholic men. They said, we're going to have a town hall meeting. And they gathered all the Catholic men into the churches. And then they barred the doors and they locked them. And they rounded up all of the Catholic women and children. And you know what they did with them? They stuck them on ships and set them out to sea with neither captain nor sailors. Many of those ships perished at sea. Many of them traveled all the way down and repopulated southern regions. But then once all the ships were beyond the horizon, they burnt the rest of the ships. And then they opened the churches. And those men went in migration. Those Catholic men went in migration 
to find their wives and their children, which many of them would never see again. They traveled all the way down the coast, traveled around the panhandle of Florida, and landed in Louisiana, where many heartbrokenly gave up their lifelong search that they would never see their wife and children again. That's what Protestants did. Are you hearing me tonight? So may this Catholic Protestant thing be ended. Mother Teresa was a far better Christian than I will ever be. Now let me tell you what really matters tonight. What this prophecy is telling us is that in the end of time, there will be two types of Christians. Have you noticed that? There will be those who follow a picture of God. They relate, they represent, they act like a picture of God which resembles more the church of the dark ages. There will be another group of Christians. And their picture of God, they allow it to be shaped not by a church, but by who? By Jesus. They go all the way back. Do we find those two type of Christians today? Monstrous things have been said about God by the Christian church. Do you remember Columbus when he came and discovered the new world? Anyone know that story? I had the privilege of conducting meetings in Trinidad a few years back. And while I was down there, they have it in a frame. It's an English translation of King Ferdinand's letter that Columbus brought to the island. Do you know what that letter reads? Anyone here ever read that letter? It states that Columbus had this letter written as he landed upon shore to these Caribs and Arawaks. That Peter had been established by Christ as the first holy pope in Rome. And that Rome had been successively controlled by the church generation after generation. That this was God's chosen people and they were invited to join The Christian church. But if they did not. And I'm quoting. The letter states that if they did not convert. And accept Jesus Christ as their Lord. That they would in the name of Jesus Christ. Rape their women. Murder their men. And sell their children as slaves. How would you like that to be your first introduction to what God's all about? Were monstrous things said about God. That they would do these things in the name of Jesus. It is amazing to me. More blood has been spilt in the name of Jesus. Than any other power in world history. Has it not? And who was doing it? The Muslims? The Buddhists? The Hindus? Who was doing it? The Christians, the ones that God left here in charge. It says in Daniel 7.25, I want you to see this. No, I don't want to erase that. Yes, I can. You've got your handouts, right? Take your handouts with me. Make sure this is clear. See where it says the little horn there in Daniel 7's column? Across from that, I want you to write above that date. You'll have to write it a little smaller, but I want you to write the Christian church. 
Well, it's interesting in Daniel 7.25. It says, they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Now, what does this mean? In Daniel chapter 4, I want to be extremely biblical. It says, there was, and whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew down the tree and destroy it. Nevertheless, leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field. And let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the field, the beast of the field. Who is this prophecy about? Nebuchadnezzar. Remember when he lost his mind? And it's interesting. How long was he in this state of insanity? Seven years. Notice what it says. The prophecy was till seven what pass over him times. How many how much time passed? Time is the Bible's way of explaining a what? A year. How many times? Seven. How many years was Nebuchadnezzar insane? Seven. So a time equals how much time? How, one time equals how much time? Now you're going to have to wake up now because I'm about to put you through math class. All right? Breathe deep. Time is how many years? Times is at least how many? So that would be two years. Half a time. How much time would that be? Total that for me. See, it's not hard math, is it? That's a joke. You'll get it later. Boy, you're a tough crowd tonight. Three and a half years. Does that look familiar to anyone? Interesting. Was there someone else who had a ministry that lasted three and a half years? It was Jesus. And when Jesus was here, who did he claim to be? He claimed to be who on earth? He who has seen me has seen who? And through that, did Jesus proclaim the truth about God's character? In Daniel 7, does it say there's power that would for a different three and a half years? Yes. Let's take it one step at a time. And who was this? This was the church. Did the church claim to be God on earth? Do you see the parallels? But through their claim, did they help people see the truth about God? Or did they help people embrace lies, monstrous lies about what God's character was like? Which one? Lies or truth? Lies. God's character became maligned. The parallels are striking here, but I want you to notice very clearly that when the Bible says time, times, and half a time, although this is a really cool parallel, can you see the parallel so far? It goes even deeper. You see, this is a a vision. Was Was the lion a literal lion or was it symbolic? Was the bear a little literal bear or was it symbolic? The leopard, was that literal or symbolic? The the fourth beast, literal or symbolic? The ten horns, literal or symbolic? The little horn, literal or symbolic? Then we get to a time period. 
in order to be consistent, what would we have to say? Is it literal time or symbolic time? We'd have to say in order to be consistent, it's symbolic. After all, did the church reign for only a literal three and a half years during the dark ages? Was the dark ages only three and a half years? No, but this is a symbolic three and a half years. Does the Bible give us a definition of how time is to be seen symbolically? All right, all right, Paul. I want you to flip over with me before we discover that. In Daniel 7.25, we just read it a moment ago, it says that they would be given into his hand for a time, times, and what? I want you to notice it says, I heard the man dressed in linen, Daniel 12.7, who was above the waters of the river. He raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a what? Time and Now, the first one we saw in Daniel chapter 7, now we're seeing this in Daniel chapter what? 12. How many times have we seen it so far? Stay with me. We've got to end quick. How many times have we seen it so far? Twice. In Revelation 12, it says, The two wings of a great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time, times, and from the presence of the sun. How many times have we seen it now? Three times. Go to Revelation 11. Leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it. For it's been given to the nations and they will tread underfoot the holy city for how many months? How many months are in three and a half years? Twelve times three and a half. It's 42. How many times have we seen this time period now? Oh, stay with me. Revelation 13, 5. There were, they were given... There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies. What did we discover those were? His claim to be who on earth? The church's claim to be God on earth. And it says, and authority to act for how many months was given to him? How many times have we seen it now? Five. Revelation 11.3, I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will, be, they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. In the Israelite system, there were how many days in a month? 30. If you take 30 days and you multiply that by 42 months or three and a half years, how many days does it give you? Should have told you to bring your calculators, shouldn't I? 1,200 and how many? 60. It says, and then how many times have we seen it now? Six. Revelation 12, the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. How many times have we seen it now? Seven times in the Bible. This power's reign is mentioned. And God is giving us a warning. Why is he doing that? Because I ask you today, why does atheism exist? Why does evolution exist? Why does secularism exist? Why in America do people hate God? It isn't because God's so bad. It's because God has been portrayed to be something that he's not. Are you hearing me tonight? We are living in the aftermath of the damage the church did to God in the Middle Ages. And people look at that and they say, well, if God's like that... I don't want to have anything to do with him. I remember recently I was out to dinner eating at a restaurant. 
And, and we began witnessing to our waitress, found out she was a Christian. And there was another waitress that came by and left. Our waitress leaned over and said, oh, you need not bother with her. She's a lesbian. I said, oh, lesbians are some of my favorite people. I need to go talk to this lady. So I got up and I went over. I said, that other waitress. She said, I'm not interfering and I don't care what you do with your personal life. But she said, there are things that are different about you and that you really don't believe in God. She said, that's right, I don't. I said, well, would you describe for me this God that you don't believe in? She said, well, I don't know, but I just don't think he'd be like they portray him to be. And I said, well, how do they portray him to be? She said, well, if I were God, I think I'd be a little bit more inclusive. A little bit more patient. A little less condemning. I said, sister, if that's how God were really like, I said, I wouldn't believe in him either. But he's not like what you've just described. She looked at me and she says, you're different. I like you. (laughs) We're still in touch. I don't know where it'll lead. But do you understand the reason most people turn against God? It's not because of what they see in Jesus. It's because of what they see in the what? In the church. And tonight, I don't care. What church you belong to, what denomination you call yourself, what you pride yourself in tonight to me doesn't matter a hill of beans. Because you can belong in any denomination and still not be following a God who looks like this, but following a God who looks like this. Can you not? This is the heart of the issue. Not what you are in name. Being a part of a church will not save you. Do you realize that? Being a member of a certain church will not get you into the kingdom. The Bible says that we are living today after this. After this crisis. Where there are people who represent this and people who represent that. But once again, it warns us how many times of this time period? It says, listen, this something's going to happen. The church is going to fall away. It's going to go through apostasy before I can get back. And it's going to be saying the wrong thing about me. Notice it'll do it for this long of a time period. Don't be deceived. Don't believe what my people are saying about me. Listen to me instead. Do you hear the cry of God tonight to this world? Don't look at what they're saying. Let me show you what I'm like. Can you hear him tonight? What is this time period? Look with me quickly because i got to quit. You guys have cookies and refreshments. Numbers 14.34 According to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days. It says, for every day you shall bear your guilt for a what? Even 40 years. In Ezekiel 4 verse 6 it says, when you have completed these, You shall lie down a second time and on your right side bear the iniquity of the house of Judah. I have assigned it to you for how many days? Is that how long literally Israel would bear its iniquity? 
No, Ezekiel was laying on his side for 40 days, and each one of those days was a symbol. A symbol of how much time? A day for each what? Hear me. A symbolic day represents a literal what? Oh, how many symbolic years are there in Daniel 7? Does that parallel the literal years of Christ's ministry? But what kind of years are these in Daniel 7, literal or symbolic? And so how many months would be here? 42 months. Are those months literal or symbolic? Symbolic. Remember, we're in, day, we're in a prophecy. How many days would be in 42 months? 1,260 days. But hear me, are those days literal or symbolic? Symb- are you with me so far? Symbolic. And what does a symbolic day represent? So how many literal years are in three and a half prophetic years? Understand, this is prophetic. This is literal. Did you see how we got to it? All we did was find out how many days are in three and a half years. And those symbolic days represent literal time, literal years. How long? Did the church rule the world during the Dark Ages? Want to take a guess? Now that is remarkable, is it not? That is remarkable. Let me show you. Go back. I want you to find the last date that one of those little horns were uprooted. When was the last date? 538. If we start from that year and we add 1,260 years, what year does that bring us to? What was happening in the late 1700s? The American Revolution. What else? The French Revolution. What was happening in in, in Europe during that time? People were tired of kingdoms run by monarchs or popes. What did they want? What what did they want in France? They wanted a kingdom, a government that was run not by priest, not by king, but by who? It was the birth of democracy. Let me read it for you. Look in your gray section. Do you see the gray section of that final page on your handout? Notice what happens in February of now this is history. I'm just quoting a historical source here in February of what year? Wow. Is that the year we were looking for in February of 1798? Napoleon's French general Berthier entered Rome. He proclaimed it a free and independent republic. What kind of a government is a republic? King, pope, people. Are you with me? It says, under the special protection of the French army, and they took the Pope prisoner. A provisional government was acknowledged acknowledged, as established by the sovereign who? King? Pope? People. Every other temporal authority emanating from the Pope was suppressed, nor was he any longer to exercise any function. The Pope died in France shortly after that, and although a new Pope was elected, 
apostate Christianity had lost its political power? Would this influence continue? Would its pictures of God continue to influence us today? But was it a world power at that point or had that come to an end? Its political power came to an end at that point. It says the object of the French directory was the destruction of the pontifical government. What that means is a government run by a pope. As the irreconcilable enemy of the republic, it was an enemy of a government run by people. The aged Pope Pius VI was summoned to surrender the temporal government. On his refusal, he was dragged from the altar. His rings were torn from his fingers. And finally, after declaring the temporal power abolished, the victors carried the Pope prisoner into Tuscany, whence he never returned. Nevertheless, apostate Christianity's political reign ended in 1798. Although that took place, it says her spiritual influence and effect on our perceptions of God's character would not be completely broken until quite some time later. What time later? What time later? Daniel seven twenty six. But the court will sit for judgment. And his dominion will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed forever. How many want to see the lies about God destroyed forever? It says, then the sovereignty, the dominion, all the kingdoms under the whole heaven, it'll be given to the people and the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions will serve and obey him. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me. My face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself. How many longed for that, that judgment? Do you remember what we read down here? How many longed for that to take place? And I'm not talking about in heaven. I'm talking about in your life. How many long for all of these lies about God to be completely uprooted from your thinking about him? Today, hear me, there are two types of Christians. One whose picture of God and the way they relate to people finds its roots in the church of the Middle Ages. The other, their picture of God and the way they relate to people, they find their roots In the ministry, the three and a half years of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that group. Amen. That's the part I want to be with. But I wanted to explain this prophecy to you as foundational. Because what section of this seminar are we in? Spiritual fulfillment. Now, for you to experience that, do you know what God's going to be doing in the next few presentations? Whether you realize it or not, each one of you have pictures of God that came from this. Do you believe that tonight? I don't care what church you go to. We all have pictures of God that that find their source here. God wants to, in the next few presentations, pull you out of this and root you and ground you into this. Why could I not experience a meaningful relationship with my earthly dad? No matter how hard I tried, I had the wrong picture of the person I was trying to have a relationship with. How many want to have that wrong picture totally eradicated between them and God so you can live in the spiritual fulfillment that Jesus came to give us? He said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He said, I'm going to show you the truth about God. And the truth is going to set you free. Are you willing? Do you want him to do that for you? Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we close this section, we're about 20 minutes late, Lord. I don't know how we're going to make up the time tonight, but you do. And so, Lord, I just give that into your hands. Before we go any further, Lord, I want to thank you that you are not content to have us be deceived, even by our own religion.
in regards to what you're like. Father, tonight I pray that you would give us the courage to stand with the Scriptures, to stand with Jesus, that even in the next few presentations, if we encounter things that are contrary to mainstream Christianity, that we would begin to realize that what you're doing is not necessarily creating controversy. You're simply trying to give us spiritual fulfillment to its fullness, to pull us out of the darkness of the dark ages, and to pull us into the light of the glorious good news of your grace, of your love, of your mercy. God, restore unto us an understanding of the gospel. In your precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here. I love you tonight, but I'm only going to give you ten minutes. Is that okay? Yeah, well, you could do that too. Ten minutes, we'll be back at 830.